You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Emilia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. In this episode, we have Sergio Galvez. He is the Trio Director for the California Lutheran University Trio Program. Sergio is on the program to talk to us about his experience in the TRIO programs, his life growing up, and talking about the various policies that impact TRIO. So coming up in just a bit, Sergio Galvez. You too can be on the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. Send us a direct message via our social media accounts via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Or you can email us at Let's Talk Trio, L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors, Angelica Vialpando and Student Access. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a patron or a sponsor. You can head over to our Kickstarter campaign. We're currently doing, our threshold is a $1,000 goal uh, for the next 90 days. And we'd like to get to the $1,000 to upgrade our equipment or purchase new software, uh, just fi- and finding new ways to uh, continue bringing this podcast to the audience. Or you can become a patron. Head on over to Patreon. Sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month for the podcast. A dollar goes a long way in supporting the podcast. So we do have maintenance fees that we have that we'd like to take care of. For example, our hosting site um, costs roughly about $15 to $16 a month. And then uh, we also use our video conferencing tool, Uh, to bring in guests from outside of Colorado. So sponsoring our podcast for as little as a dollar a month. This episode was really engaging and really, I just really enjoyed talking with Sergio about his vision and and, uh, the experiences that he's gone through with the TRIO programs and how he's shaped his future um, from being a, a kid that went into Uh, high school to all the way to now graduating, getting a master's and turning around and giving back to TRIO programs. So this is what this podcast is all about, really, is allowing these TRIO voices to come into the podcast and share their experience, share their story and uh, talk about what they're currently doing now um, as TRIO alum. 
I hope that you enjoy this episode. Uh, again, it's great. Sergio Galvez, a, a great example of a trio alum. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Five, four, three, two, one. Hi, Trio Nation. My next guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast is the Senior Director of Trio Pre-University Programs at California Lutheran University, was also previously an Upward Bound Director and Coordinator, attained a Master's in Public Policy Administration, attained a Bachelor's in History and Spanish, both at California Lutheran University. Prior to joining the Trio Upward Bound program team at California Lutheran University, Sergio was a high school teacher in Oxnard Union High School Union District, teaching world civics and U.S. history and to, to ELL students and traditional college prep students. Sergio is a Trio Upward Bound alum and is now the director of the Trio Upward Bound program that helped them through high school and eventually helped them attend Cal Lutheran as part of the freshman class of 1999. Sergio is also an alum of the California uh, Lutheran University Trio Student Support Services Program. When he is not working with his team or with the students that he serves, Sergio enjoys cooking from scratch, making dishes, and Sergio, is this right? You hope to open up a taco truck when you grow up. That is, if I ever leave Trio and if I ever leave helping students, it's going to be to open up Tacos del Prof. Oh my God, that is that is that sounds like an awesome title for a taco truck. I would definitely want to go to California just to try out the tacos. So please yeah. welcome Sergio Galvez to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Sergio, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you very much, Juan. It's a pleasure to be here. I was actually super honored when you when you asked me to to come on board and just kind of share my story, uh, not just on the personal side but on the professional side. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Likewise, likewise. I feel like uh, so. I'm connected through to you via Twitter, and, and that's how I found you. And I kept seeing how you were posting about Trio and how you made uh, a lot of uh, things about education. So I really wanted to have you on the podcast. Yeah, you know what? It's, it's, I, I think I just kind of got rolled into this profession, and I don't want to get into too many of you know the questions that you might have on deck for me, but it's something that I at some point in my life realized that I had a servant mentality that, you know, propelled me to actually sometimes care more for other people's kids than myself and even my own family. And, you know, I don't know how that sounds coming off, but that was my passion was helping other people that were either sharing a similar story to mine or were in a position where they weren't being spoken for. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of how I ended up where I am now. Oh, that's amazing. So like you said, not to get too much into it, I do have some pre-actual uh, questions for you, like the questions that will kind of warm up and then eventually lead us into it. So I know we're kind of recording this in the middle of this pandemic, a unique situation that we're all facing nationwide. Mm -hmm. um, you're kind of in the midst of it as well in California. And we're recording this episode while a lot of secondary schools and colleges are thinking about bringing fall sports back. It's been quite a year. How are you handling and how are you uh, adjusting to this new normal? You know what? The, the new normal, I, I feel like I've said this like a million times. I feel like we are flying the plane as we're building it while at the same time writing the manual <laughs> on how to fly the plane yeah. as we're trying to fly it. Wow. Um, I don't know that many people at first in the beginning when this all started knew exactly what they were doing. And, you know, since 
March, when everything kind of shut down, there have been a lot of, you know, changes in, in, in how people view both the pandemic, the virus itself and everything else. And I, and I feel like there was a lot of information that was being thrown out and, and I, and some of it exaggerated, some of it probably, you know, uh, poorly conceived, but I, I don't hold the people that gave us that information to any type of uh, gripe. I, I, I'd rather that people get it wrong, given the nature of the fact that we knew so little about this, right? So now with schools opening up and playing fall sports, I mean, I don't know, man, we're, we're, we're still kind of very much in the middle of it. You see the NFL right now pretty much like in a crisis with players testing positive and I just think it's a matter of time before that, you know, bleeds into the college arena where kids are more likely to actually probably go out and, you know, just be social and be kids and, 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 and do what they felt college was supposed to provide for them, which was make, you know, meet their best man or their maid of honor in college. You know, it, it, that yeah. social life is, is really being interrupted. So I, I, I'm kind of like on the fence with regards to, uh, collegiate sports just because you, you know you trust the fact that these coaches are doing their due diligence and that they are following the medical research that tells them how to practice what they're supposed to be practicing I think at the end of the day it's do you have the testing capability to actually ensure that you're keeping your scholars safe a right b um, what are you doing outside of the field or the court or whatever it is to ensure that your students are abiding by those rules. And I don't know that you can fully actually, you know, hold these kids down again. You know, I remember my college years being somewhat of like an adventurous time in my life where you were, I was really finding myself and, and finding who I was socially. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, man, it's, it's one of those things where it's, I think time's going to tell us what's going to happen with all this, but I hope, I hope for the best. I hope that, whoever's, you know, making these decisions is well informed um, and is thinking about the students more than themselves or whatever image it is that they're trying to, to, to maintain institutionally. Absolutely. And what about you and your family? How are you all ad adapting to this whole COVID-19 situation? Oh man, I'd be lying to you right now if I, if I told you that for a while I wasn't going a little crazy, right? Because... <laughs> You know, I, my, I, I live in California. It's very expensive to actually own a, a decent place to live out here. And, um, you know, I, I don't have room for a desk here. I, I live in an area where I need my garage to park my car. So I'm not like that individual that could have set up a workstation in his garage. Um, it's, it's been tough on me. I'm not going to lie. My wife works in the medical field, so she has really not stopped working. So I remember in the early days, that was a real stressor for us, given that a lot of the work that she does every day could have easily been done remotely. And they were still asking her to go in. Now, again, mind you, this is before we knew that, you know, it's still a very dangerous, contagious virus. Mm -hmm. And it's taken the lives of over 200,000 Americans. But there is hope, right? Like there is, uh, like, our human immune systems are, are, I think, prepared for these types of crises. And, and 
back then we didn't know. So I was just like, my wife's still going into work every day, getting exposed to people coming into the office and all that yeah. other stuff. Um, but you know, we've managed uh, as, as time has gone by, it's very, it's very hard to work from my, from my kitchen table. I'm, I'm going to be flat honest. It's, it's, my chairs aren't very comfortable. Mm -hmm. I try to stand up and walk around. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go to my couch and sometimes that leads to like, Oh, let me turn on the TV. Right. So it hasn't been easy. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that this has been a real challenge for me. It's been a challenge for my kids attending online school. Um, we're doing the best we can. And I think I speak for most people in that we're still trying to figure this whole thing out as, as we go. But um, I remain hopeful. I remain hopeful and I feel like conversations like these that allow me to kind of express that actually help that. Oh, that's that, good. That, that, you know, emotional, uh, mental health aspect of my life. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to actually take my mind away from other things and, and sit here and have a conversation with you. That's fantastic, Sergio. Uh, and now I have to ask you, this is the obligatory quarantine question. Any new skills or hobbies that you picked up during this time? Well, you know what? I, I'd love to tell you that I started working out, but no, I used to work out before COVID and then I completely stopped, right? So, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's given me an opportunity though when we couldn't go out all the time to actually... When, when we didn't, when we weren't able to go out to restaurants, it gave me the opportunity to actually learn new, new skills in the kitchen. So I've always loved to cook. I grew up in a family of, you know, it, it, it's, it's six of us, five boys and the youngest sibling, my, my baby sister, she's 21. She's the youngest. So mm -hmm. it was five guys, mom and dad. And, and many times we spent life in Mexico when we were really, really young. And so it was just really me, mom, and my brothers, because my dad would be here in the States working. But uh, because of that, we had to help mom. Everything from making tortillas to making the beans. I burn myself with the beans. I have a scar to show of it. You know what I mean? So I've always had cooking in my blood. So mm -hmm. I think what, what COVID has done is just made me really just expand my, my, my culinary ambitions. My wife tells me I spend more time watching YouTube cooking videos than... <laughs> And watching sports where it used to be the complete opposite so i'd like to sure. i i've learned to make an array of salad dressings from scratch i wow. I, I i've i've learned to actually uh uh cook sauces like for pasta from scratch which is That's something impressive. that you know i used to never make i used to always buy the bot the, the, the jar uh, i've always been good on the grill but mm -hmm. I've experimented with my recipes. I've, you know, I've, I've, I, I love to cook steaks. I love to, uh, um, I basically love to hear people say that they enjoy my food. And oh, man, that's my good. family so far enjoys my food. Uh, but it's given me a lot more liberty to just go out and just buy fresh ingredients and just experiment in the kitchen, man. So if, if I could tell you that I've earned a new, uh, uh, any, any new skill, probably not a new skill, but just I think it's, it's ingrained in my love for, for cooking uh, that, because, you know, we just couldn't go out. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that when you develop a skill like that and, you, and it sticks yeah. with you, like uh, you said, it's, it was already something that you were already doing and it's, it just sure. seems like you've honed it. Uh, yeah. So I, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not a chef, but <laughs> I've watched enough of binging with Babish where I've picked up some pretty <laughs> decent technique when I execute my, my dishes. <laughs> hey, binging with Babish, I feel like I, anytime I watch that channel, I feel like hungry right afterwards. I feel like right, I can experiment right. with anything at that point. It's, it's, I am a, so I'm not a cook soothing, by no means. Yeah. His voice is so soothing. You know what it I mean? really is. It really is. <laughs> 
Um, Sergio, talk to us about uh, the place you live right now and, and how uh-huh. your city has responded to this pandemic. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, I'm, I'm in Camarillo, California. It's, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm in the south coast of California in between Los Angeles and Santa Barbara. Uh, traditionally a very conservative area. So I can tell you that there's definitely a conflict that I see every single day, right? You've got the restrictions of living in California where Governor Newsom has been, you know, very strict on the lockdown, shutting down businesses, things like that. And living in a conservative area where where people are fighting him tooth and nail. I don't agree with the people that are fighting him tooth and nail, and I don't fully agree with Governor Newsom. I think that that there's a a very delicate balance there that we all have in common, yet for some reason we've allowed this pandemic to actually, you know, set people apart and and mm-hmm. kind of pin people against one another over just basic safety man just basic caring for other people right like there's the mask Absolutely. issue the mask issue to me is one of the silliest things that has ever come up um i, I and and i've heard people make the comparison to like seat belts right like how human beings fought the implementation of seatbelts tooth and nail despite oh, yeah. the fact that it was proven statistically that they were saving lives right and so when people make fun of of me or anybody i know or just other people for wearing a mask thinking that oh you think you're protected with the mask you know it it it, it boggles me when i when the, that individual can't be empathetic enough to to think that if if they were wearing their mask as well it's not about you it's not about protecting yourself it's about protecting others and this is a system this is uh, an implementation and a strategy that only works if everybody's on board. So it's, it's been an interesting uh, pathway because I love so many people in this community. I went to high school in this community and I have more in common with the people in this community than they actually think. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. But somehow political views have created like this barrier and, yeah. you know, I could, I, I'm not going to hijack this podcast and talk about our president but that has a lot to do with it sure you know like he's he's not he's not the role model that this country needs right now and 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 it's definitely a sad fact absolutely i think uh it's it's hard to avoid politics now when uh the the climate makes everything political uh when it comes to the mask when it comes to uh we're trying to watch out for the elderly uh it's and no one really thought that right that we would have to weigh killing grandma grandpa potentially in favor of keeping the economy going which is something that i I would have never thought that a president would have to ponder right and you know i i don't blame him entirely because he wasn't prepared for this but i don't think anybody else was either right like nobody saw this coming like nobody on this floating rock saw this saw this coming Mm -hmm. so um i do think that he handled it poorly but that's my personal opinion and I will take it to the grave. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for so much for your openness and we appreciate your opinion, your take, man, because uh, yeah. absolutely. And right. We don't want to make this too political, but it has to be said and has to be acknowledged, right? That how I we feel so. about this pandemic and how uh, people have handled it really speaks to the level of re- whether you believe it, it actually is a hoax or if it's something that's real and tangible for people because it's affected them personally. So I, I think it's certainly something we need to highlight. I, I definitely think it's something that is affecting the decisions that people are making are affecting the students we serve. And I think Absolutely. that's what I, draw the line, you know what I mean? 
Absolutely. I agree 100% on that. Um, so Sergio, kind of bringing it to this question, now that we've kind of know a little bit more about you, but what have you learned about yourself in this pandemic? I've learned that I am just as susceptible to, not susceptible. I've learned that I should care about my mental health just as much as all the people that I've tried to encourage to care about their mental health, if that makes sense. Just because, you know, I wasn't prepared for this either. And I've, I've learned that this is like mentally, this is one of the biggest challenges that everybody's facing. And you hear about the suicide rates going up and everything else. And yeah, that's a very extreme way of looking at it, but it's happening. Right. And, 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 and I look at myself and thinking like, man, there's been times where I, I'm not motivated to actually do the one thing that I know I was made I was put on this planet to do, which was love to help other people. Like when that starts getting affected, I knew that something wasn't right. So, you know, I had to do some real self, you know, reflection, some, some self-realization that I'm just as, just as susceptible to, to being weak in that regard. And I don't even look at it as a weakness. I look at it as like, look, it's, it's a, it's a conglomerate of things that just add up given the nature of our circumstances. And it's, it, it's, it can take a toll on you. Absolutely. So I've learned that, you know, even though I would say culturally, man, like Latinos don't like to be crazy and they don't <laughs> want to admit to mental health, but man, like I found myself, like how much, how much I struggle to actually admit that, you know what, maybe you should go and talk to someone. Maybe yeah. you should go and find someone that you can voice your frustrations, concerns, stresses with. And so it's taught me that it's taught me that, that we're all we're all susceptible to to mental health issues and it's made me um it's made it's made me reassure what i've always known is that good mental health is just as important as acknowledging that there may be a problem right so always promoting yourself always taking care of yourself is something that should always be a priority in order for you to be at your best Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're going to get into the segment where we get to learn more about you, Sergio. Tell us about yourself. What was life like for you growing up? Man, I, you know, I, I again, I'm, I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest of six. I'm 40 years old. My baby sister's 21. So that kind of gives you a sense of, of, this, of, of the scope, right? Um, all boys until she was born in 1998. And you know, we, we've kind of lived a life that involved living in California. I was born here in California, but I've also lived three years in, in Zacatecas, Mexico, right? Like in a little ranchito where there was no running water, where uh, electricity didn't arrive till 1986. You know, like I, I've lived like what people would call a sierra, what people would call like a village. Like I, I lived there for three years of my life. I learned to, to milk cows. I, I've learned to, you know, I learned to ride a horse back then. Um, it was a beautiful life. It was a hard life. And half the time, as, as I kind of previously mentioned before, my dad wasn't there for it, right? Because he was back here working, sending money. So I, I never understood the dynamic as a kid. I didn't have to. I was just a kid. My parents were making the best decisions possible for us. But... <clears throat> Yeah, man. I think because of that, I don't like to camp. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I'll glamp all day long, bro. Glamp? But okay. I'm not gonna camp. Like I'm not building fires to cook. I did that when I was a kid, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it was it was a beautiful life. It was a life that I think has made me and my brothers the people we are today. Um, yeah, just you know, growing up. Thankfully, my parents were always supportive enough to make sure that they took us to Little League baseball practice. So they always involved us in, in sports. We grew up playing baseball, grew up playing soccer, uh, got into basketball when I got into really, I think, high school when I was seriously when I was in high school. Um, but I always had the support of my parents. You know what I mean? Like my parents yeah. never went to college. My parents have the equivalent, the equivalent of a third grade level education. Mm-hmm. And I always like to... Uh, reassure people when I say that, that they, they have a PhD in life because my parents, uh, you know, whatever it is that was happening, we never didn't have a roof over our head. We never didn't have food to eat. And even though they may have been payless shoes, I always had shoes on my feet. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it would, and it goes to their genius of, budgeting and just knowing that their resources and their money was limited and they always want they always told us vayan a la escuela vayan a la escuela go to school you have to make sure you go to school and you know what every time that they told us that they had no idea what that meant they had no idea what that was what that was going to take but just hearing it over and over and over made you made you realize or made me realize that they were serious about it and then i had to go to school one way shape or form i didn't know what that was going to look like but i had to go to school so you know we they they always supported us and and, you know i'll I'll be honest with you my mom and dad stopped being able to help me with my homework when i was probably in the fifth grade Mm -hmm. but even as an eighth grader my dad would ask me even in high school my dad would ask me show me your homework Hmm. you know so i'd show him some some letters that somehow equated to a number and you know he'd be like, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, like, I think he would see a full page of writing and be like, all right, they did something, right? But they <laughs> right. still would always let us. They would still always ask us to provide them with, with proof that we had done what we were supposed to be doing in school. And so I'll forever be grateful for my parents for that. Yeah. So it sounds like accountability was really important to your dad and and to to keep you to that to that standard, right? Even though, again, going back to what you said third grade education, he was smart enough to know, like, got to keep them accountable, got to make sure that they put school as a priority. So, and speaking about school, what type of student were you? Did you engage often or did you feel like you disengaged? You know what? I was always the engaged student, A, because I was scared to death of my dad. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And here's the funny part. The man never laid a hand on me. Right. It was always mm-hmm. me dodging the chancla from my mom or dodging the freaking belt from my mom. <laughs> but my dad never touched me. He never laid a hand on me. And I was scared of him. I was scared to disappoint him. Mm-hmm. And so we, I, I did my best. Um, I'm not, I, I was never really an A student, but I was always, you know, middle of the road, B, B, C student. Right. And, and that got me through, that got me through the eighth grade. Um, towards that making that transition to high school all right and t- speaking of transitions uh, t- transitions are often difficult between elementary middle school and high school do you recall how those transitions affected you and and what may- sort of impact they made on you man I, I i'd be remiss if i don't mention his name um 
right now, I grew up on a ranch here in Somas, California, about three miles, three to four miles uh, northwest of where I, I'm at right now. And it, it was an avocado ranch. It was a lemon ranch. I grew up basically in a place where I could ride dirt bikes, where I could ride horses. I mean, it was paradise. It was, I, I, I'm, I'm privileged in that sense. But my dad worked for a man, uh, David Donlan, who basically always gave my dad the support when he needed it. I grew up without a, grand, without a grandfather. I never met either one of my grandfathers. They, were, they had both passed away before I was born. So David Donlan was in a very strong sense, the only grandfather figure that I ever knew. And one time I was shooting hoops. I was an eighth grader and I was shooting hoops uh, outside in the barn. Cause again, I'm in a ranch, right? And Dave drove by, it was after hours, it was after work hours. Stops by, gets out of the car, asks me how school's going. I'm like, it's good. And um, as I'm shooting, he's like, do you know what classes you're taking in high school? And I said, I haven't, I haven't met with any counselors. So no, I really don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know. I didn't even know that I got to pick what classes I was gonna be in. And he tells me, make sure you pick college prep classes because you're gonna go to college. Now, this whole time, my mom and dad have always told me, you, you're going to go to school. You're going to go to school. Van estudiar, van estudiar. Never had the word college or university come up out of their mouths because, again, they don't know that process. Mm -hmm. David Donlan tells me, make sure you take college prep classes because you want to make sure that you're ready to apply to college in four years. Mm -hmm. I almost laughed inside myself. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't out of respect for Mr. Donlan. But that kind of stuck, right? And so then the counselors come and we take placement tests, the high school counselors that is, and we take placement tests and I place in like math, math, I think it was like math nine, which is like non-college prep math. That's what my test score placed. And everything else was like English one, I think I placed in English one, which was college prep. But my math was behind. So I sit with, with Ms. Garuba, who was my guidance counselor throughout high school. Mm -hmm. And she tells me, you placed really low in this math, but you're close enough where I think I can put you in intro, uh, in intro to algebra. And then you will be on a college prep path. Mm -hmm. And Dave Donlan's words came to mind. And I thought, okay, I want to do that. Right? Like, yeah. I want to do that. That, yeah. that sounds like what Dave said I should do. Not to mention that all my friends were like in they all tested in college prep. I was the only one that really didn't. So mm -hmm. I wanted to be in classes with my friends. Yeah. So she put me in intro to algebra and I started off basically a college prep curriculum at Camarillo high school and just kind of never really looked back, man. Like wow. the friends that I, that I wanted to be in classes with actually dropped down to standard classes mm -hmm. once they got to high school. Mm -hmm. Um, and I stuck with it, man. And it paid dividends because it, it put me in the trajectory that I needed to be in to, to be where I'm at today, in all honesty. And it sounds kind of corny, but I, I think uh, we'll get into it, I think, a little bit later when you ask me about my involvement with TRIO. But um, I think not wanting to be in classes with my friends after I saw they dropped, after I tried to be in classes with them just to be with them, and mm -hmm. yet 
they met adversity and said like, nah, like I'd rather go party. I'd rather ditch. I'd rather do whatever. I was too scared. I was too scared of my dad. You know what I mean? Like if I ditched, I was going to have to answer to him. So, right. Right. Yeah. No. So it, it, it's, it's, it, it led me, it led me to where I am today for sure. Awesome. Another question for you. What was your favorite subject in school and what helped you stay engaged with this subject or was it a different, uh, entirely different subjects that interested you? Man, I loved math. You loved I math. Loved, really? I loved math. Let me tell you why. Because I had a hard time like doing analysis when I was a kid. Right? I, I was a kid that grew up with a stutter. I was self-conscious of my stutter. I, my reading was always seemed like a grade below everybody else for some reason. And my writing just wasn't great. But in math, there was always a right or wrong answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? It like, is yes or no. Especially when you're in elementary, man. It's, there's always yeah. a right answer. You know, before you start throwing letters into the equation, there's always a right answer. Um, and I really love that about that subject. I just wish I was better at it. And you know what? Maybe had my parents had the resources to get me a tutor, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would have taken another path. Uh, but I really enjoyed math when I was a kid. That's awesome. Because of that fact. Yeah. Um, all the other subjects were cool, but honestly, I didn't learn to appreciate the things I appreciate now, the literature analysis, the historical analysis, until I was much, I was much older, really until mm-hmm. I got to college. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's amazing. Sergio, we're going to take a podcast break. We will be back more with uh, Sergio Galvez uh, over at uh, the TRIO at California Lutheran University. Three, two, one. And we are back with Sergio Galvez over at California, uh, Luther, is it Luther, California, California Lutheran University? I always mess that up. It's California Lutheran University. Thank you. And and I have your background right there. So I don't know why I didn't just uh, read it off from there. But Sergio, (laughs) uh, we were talking uh, even pre-show and now now, uh, during the break a little bit about uh, how everything is in context. And we're so glad that you're sharing your story with us because it does provide a lot of context for a trio student that um, uh, that goes up from uh, going from high school and then college. So not to spoil too much about it, but can you talk to us about your high school experience and what did you enjoy most about it? So high school was interesting because, Juan, I graduated from a class of my eighth grade graduating class or promotional class, you know, I promoted from a class of 37, I think, out in Somis. And my, I entered into a freshman class that was up until that point, the largest freshman class in the history of uh, of Camarillo High School. And it was a class of 706 students. Wow. So I can tell you that driving up so I lived out in the rural area, as I mentioned. So pulling up into the bus, as we were getting closer to the school, 
Juan, I had never seen so many people with backpacks walking in the same direction oh, like wow. I did that morning. Yeah. And I can tell you quite honestly that my heart sank because I was the oldest in my family. I had cousins who were in high school that were older than me, but you know, and, and, and they took care of me. I, I, I will make sure that they know that they, they took care of me, but you know what, you know, it's like, we were Somos boys mm -hmm. and the Camarillo boys didn't like Somos boys. So I was already going with that mentality with my cousins telling me, it's like, Oh, you're from Somos. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to pick on you, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I see all these people. Right. And so my heart drops because incorrectly i thought oh my god those are a lot of camarillo boys now they're not all camarillo boys right there was a lot of white people there too but, <laughs> but, but, but i thought like oh my god that's a lot of people yeah who i do not know yeah and so when i was in class when i was in classes you know camarillo has uh junior high junior high schools that have graduating classes of like 200 and you know it's, it's i call it a small town uh, but a small town in California is a town of like 70,000 people. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of people, right? Like, Absolutely. I, I, I talked to some of my trio colleagues, you know, from the South or from rural areas and they're like, no, 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 sirs, you got it all wrong. A small town is a town of about 2000. Like that's a small town. Right. right? So that, yeah, that Camarillo is. under Southern California standards is a small town. And, um, but I had never seen so many people in my life. And then I'm, I'm in classes and so many people seem to know, <clears throat> seem to know one another and mm. I didn't know any of them. So I had to kind of start from scratch mm. and I wasn't always this outgoing. I wasn't always this, you know, ready to jump on a podcast or, or on a podium <laughs> yeah. and, and speak to people. I wasn't always like this. I, it's definitely something that was developed throughout my, my years, but, it was hard. I'm not going to say it was easy. And, mm -hmm. and I think what made, what made things better was the fact that I had that sports background. And so, you know, in high school, I played sports. I played soccer. I played baseball, uh, even played a year of basketball uh, when I was there. I wasn't a starter. I'm way too short to start in basketball. But, you know, I, me and my friends in Somis, we always played ball and, and you know, we, we were pretty good at it. So, it was one of those things where um, sports, I think, was like the, the, the connective, the conduit that allowed me to actually make friends. And, mm -hmm. and after that, my younger brother came into high school and he started playing sports. And, and our good friend Omar was like a varsity football player his freshman year. So through him, we met all of the older people that were a year older than I was. So mm -hmm. I think sports were like the connective tissue to all this. Oh, and, wow. and, and it made it, it made it more pleasant. Um, I met clubs like met, I, I joined clubs like Mecha and um, being in college prep classes and honors classes, you tended to be in the same classes with the same students over and over and over. Oh, so yeah. that helped as well. You know what I mean? But yeah, I, I was always the only like the only Latino in honors classes. I was only yeah. the only Latino in 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 AP classes, um, but it 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 made it um, sport and being and seeing the same people over and over made it made it enjoyable for sure. That's awesome. And then being a Somos boy and having that Somos click, they're always to uh, to give you that that outside at lunch uh, support was always a good thing to have. <laughs>
That's awesome. <laughs> so uh, graduating high school floods my brain with band, Friday night football, figuring out where I belonged. Uh, for you, you said that connecting with sports was something similar, like a, you figured out who you were through, through those connections. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk to us about that experience and, and your, that ability to make those connections with others. Well, I, I, I think sports in, in itself, when done right and when done for, you know, competition, you know, athletic teams are, are, are a social incubation environment that allows for people to make genuine, real connections, to build trust, to build uh, a sense of reliability and a sense of being accountable to other people, right? So I think that in itself made it uh, pleasant for me. Mm -hmm. I think what really helped, and I may be getting ahead of myself here in the question, is that at the start of my junior year, I joined Trio Upward Bound. Oh, and, yeah. And it was the program out of California Lutheran University, but mm -hmm. the director came into one of my classes and basically said, if you want to go to college one day, this is the program for you. I, I will guarantee you that you will go off to school. And this is the start of my junior year. And so we, I, I applied, I got accepted, and that introduced me to a whole other family of students who were, who like me were in high schools, only much more diverse out in Oxnard, right? But for the first time, like going, jumping into an upward bound meeting to me, I thought was like a break from, and I don't, you know, we may have to edit this out, but like. It, it, it was exhausting to be the only Mexicano in a college prep class. It was exhausting. It was, a, it, it was exhausting to always be the person that needed to have an opinion or laugh at a Mexican joke mm -hmm. class. And so when I joined Upward Bound, I was kind of expecting to kind of have an escape from, from that. But then I walk into my first Saturday session and all I see is a bunch of like cholos, only they're all smart too, like me. <laughs> You know what I mean? right. And I walk in, I'm like, oh my God, there's nothing but cholos here. And they're all from Oxnard. I don't know them. Yeah. But the first thing that they did was like, hey, come over here. And I thought, I'm like, oh my God, this is like Camry versus Somis boys all over again. No, it was the other way around. It was like, what's your name? Have a seat. It's like, it was a completely different environment. So, so they were like, really down definitely made my senior year. Yeah that much more predictable i had control over it as long as i did what i was supposed to do oh that's good that's good so yeah. it's, it's it sounded like when upper bound recruited you the students that were already participating you welcomed welcomed you into the fold oh my god they so some of the people that I, that i first walked into that room that scared me half to death when i walked into that room are people that i still talk to today oh that's amazing they are people that were in my wedding you know what i mean there are people that I work with till this day. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's the trio upward bound family at Cal Lutheran is at least my graduating class and really classes before me and classes after me, we're still a tight knit group because we know we have that one thing in common. We're trio alumni from, Cal, from Cal Lutheran's upward bound program. And we have, we take a lot of pride in that. That's awesome. And we always make sure that we help one another in every way, shape or, shape or form possible. But yeah, honestly, 
once I, even though I found sports in high school, if it wasn't for Upward Bound, I would have still probably struggled with it. And I'll tell you why. I actually was a father before I became a father before I graduated high school. Oh, really? So I, yeah, you were a dad. I, I was a dad before I graduated high school. My, okay. I had a, my daughter, Viviana, who is now 21 years old and a senior at California Lutheran University mm-hmm. studying business administration. She was born almost a month before I graduated from high school. Oh, wow. So the stresses that came with the nine months before she was born and mm-hmm. even the few months before I even knew I couldn't have gotten past those without my upper bound family and without my friends from, from trio and my upper bound directors. You know yeah. what I mean? They're the ones that got me through it because when I was applying for schools, I was applying across the board and I got admitted to pretty much every school that I applied to because thanks to upward bound and thanks to the words that David Donlin once told me, I was actually a decent student in high school. Yeah. Um, but Upward Bound just solidified the fact that I was meant to have options and not have choices. Yeah, I like that. That makes sense. I really I like that. I was meant to have options, yeah. not choices. That, that's and, a hot take right there. I think we need to highlight that for production. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I had so many options. And at the end of the day, when my, when my daughter was born, all those options came crashing down. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for my Upward Bound director who told me, no, just because, you know, you're going to be a dad, that does, no, I, I'm not going to kick you off this program. No, I don't think you're taking up the space for anyone else. You're still very much geared to go to college. We're going to get through this together. Those words and that encouragement from my director, El Dr. Oscar Covian, by the way, uh, shout out to him. I, I, I wouldn't have been where I'm at had he not told me to stop being silly mm-hmm. and quit trying to quit the program. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, wow. yeah, it was him. It was my upper bound family. And then somehow he pulled strings, man. I don't know what he did. I ended up getting into Cal Lutheran at the very last minute. Mm-hmm. Chose to mm-hmm. go to Cal Lutheran. Um, because it was close to home. I could drive there every day. I didn't get a chance to live in dorms my first three years, but I still got a great education. I love Cal Lutheran University. It, I, yeah, I, owe, I owe my place in society to that institution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's thanks to the people that I really met starting my junior year and really followed me through my senior year and made that transition that we started talking about um, so much easier man it, it it made it it made it it made it so that i could see the the north star at the end of all of this you know what absolutely. i mean absolutely yeah. i think i think very much like you sergio for me uh by junior and senior year um our, our director encouraged us to think about right like you said choices you have choices you have things to that you can look at and for me, it was always Eastern New Mexico University that that would be the school that I would go to. Uh, so for you, do you remember if you are, were are thinking about a variety of colleges or what did you, do you recall your college selection process? How did that work for you? Man, I was going to be a Trojan all my life. I was, I was going oh, really? to go to USC. I was yeah. going to go to USC. I was going to go play baseball at USC. 
Um, I applied to USC. They didn't recruit me, but I applied to USC. I got accepted <laughs> to USC. Yeah. I applied to UCLA, I think, just because I had the waiver and it was one of the four schools that I could apply to. Right. I got accepted into USC. I got accepted into UCSB. I got accepted into Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. I probably could have gone and played baseball at Fullerton or Long Beach. Um, I got accepted to CSUN, Cal State Northridge. And for right. a while, CSUN was, CSUN was it. Like for a while, because it was the closest thing that I had. Um, we didn't have Cal State Channel Islands of Camarillo back then. So it was going to be either CSUN or the community college, right? And nothing against the community college because I think that they are, they serve a purpose that now, especially more right now during this pandemic, their value has skyrocketed pretty much probably across the country. Mm. But mm. I had choices, man, I really did. I could have gone to, I got into my dream school. I got into other, into other schools where I could have gotten a great education and all of that, when my daughter was born, just kind of got put on hold, at least mm -hmm. here mentally, because yeah. my, my mentality was go to the community college, get a full-time job so you can raise your daughter, right? Because back then I was in love, right? I was mm -hmm. an 18-year-old that was in love. And, you know, I still very much, I, I care deeply for my, for my baby's mother. We're, we're luckily civil and, and we get along and it's not about us, it's about her. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's one of those things where in, in, in few words, the world, the world kind of came crashing down on me, right? Like I had all these options and then I couldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to do anything with it. Uh, enter Oscar Covian and throws Cal Lutheran as an option. And the rest is history, man. Like I got, I had amazing financial aid, partly because of <clears throat> my grades Mm -hmm. because of my situation right so i i ended up graduating from cal lutheran in 03 with i think like five thousand dollars in debt from a you know private liberal arts very that's expensive not, college yeah that's not bad um it's not bad man but you know upward bound also instilled in me the resiliency to always just apply for scholarships so when we my senior year all i did was apply for scholarships my yeah. best friends were Ms. Blackburn, who was the career center tech. And that should tell you a lot that I, I remember the career, <laughs> the career center tech at my high school's name because yeah. we were that close. Like I would literally go over there every lunch. It's like, hey, any new scholarships? Yeah. Uh, but I only did that because Oscar Covian and Diva Ward told me, make sure that the career center knows exactly who you are and they know your name and they know what you're there for. And so... I took their word serious. I took their word serious, bro. And, and, and it paid dividends. It paid dividends. That's and amazing. as hard as I laid, as hard as I made life for myself as a kid, really as a kid, because now I think about my daughter at 21 raising a child. Mm. No way. Yeah. But yet me yeah. and her mom were 18, were 19 and 18 when we were raising her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we managed thanks to the people that we had around us. That's amazing. And that's, that's awesome to hear that you were still encouraged by your upper bound family to still oh, yeah. pursue education and yep. to still uh, raise a child in the midst of all this. You, yeah. you have certainly become um, the person that you needed to be for sure. 
I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, so going into college, that again must have been a huge transition because you're you have a child, you're you're having to be you know these father responsibilities. Can yeah. you can recall that what that transition looked like and how that impacted you? Well, again, I was the only Mexican in all my classes. I can tell you that uh, Cal Lutheran wasn't a diverse college by any stretch of the imagination. I was in a place with a lot of students with a lot of privilege and you know imposter syndrome yeah i lived it for sure oh yeah yeah but um i never once doubted that i didn't belong there and it's thanks to the trio student support services program at cal lutheran again trio coming in to save the day yeah right like they made sure that i had a family on campus an office, even though it was just a tiny corner in the library, I knew I had a place where Juan, even if I needed $5 to have lunch that day, mm -hmm. I could go in there and just put a little pouty sad face and they would knew <laughs> it's lunchtime. This fool hasn't eaten. Let's, you know, and so they would ask me, have you had lunch? And I would say, no, why not? I don't have any money. And Dude, I can't tell you how many times my enter Damien Peña, Dr. Damien Peña, my SSS uh, initially counselor, then turned director, then turned boss, by the way, which wow. you know, is, wow. is, is an amazing story all in itself. But back then he was my counselor and he would tell me straight up, fool, do you not have any money? I'd be like, no, man, I, I, I don't have any money. And he would whip out $5. It's like, here, go to Anna, go get a, go get a turkey melt, go get a something, go get something to eat and then come back. Sure enough, man, I would take, I would take the money. I would go and I would grab lunch, go back to the SSS office and just be at home man. eat my lunch. Like I was at home. Yeah. So CLU was hard because I was the first one, again, the oldest. So I didn't have anybody to ask what to expect. What am I doing wrong? None of that. I was a bio major, right? I wanted to go to medical school. Mm -hmm. That was the North Star. And it was very hard. Had it not been for TRIO SSS, man, I don't know what I would have done at Calu. I don't know that I would have even graduated from Calu if it wasn't for Oh, that. wow. Yeah. And, you know, the director then was uh, Doreen de los Santos. And she actually passed away. Um, I want to say she passed away the year that I graduated from college. She left the position of director of TRIO SSS my sophomore year, I think, like middle or late sophomore year. And it may have been, I don't know, I'm, 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 we may have to edit this. It may have been because of her disease. I don't know if that's what it was. But she passed away shortly, not long after that. Yeah. And she was always very, very involved with West Stop. She was always on committees. She served as West Stop SoCal chapter president. People admired this woman to the point where they've created a, the Doreen de los Santos Service Award wow. uh, that is given to a SoCal West Stop chapter member for years of work, for years of uh, giving themselves to the profession, to the students, and to the organization. And I'm blessed to be
be a recipient of the Doreen de los Santos Award. I can tell you that when I got that award, I broke down like I was like I was four and yeah, somebody yeah. Like, like kicked me, man. You know what I mean? Like it, it was yeah. one of those things where it's one of the most special moments in my life. Well, and, Sergio, felicidades on that, man. That's awesome. Oh, thank you, bro. Thank you. No, I, I, I'm still hope I'm trying to build a collection. So hopefully, I can absolutely get that yeah. Walter Mason Award one day. You know, if I stick to this, that would be amazing, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, a quick question that's not on the script, but I'm, I'm going to ask sure. it anyway. Um, sure. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what is West Stop and West Stop SoCal? What is that? So, West Stop is one of it's one of ten regional professional organizations that is meant to provide uh, professional development, networking opportunities, uh, exposure to um, regulations, exposure to COE, the national organization. Uh, it's, an oper it's, it's a way for you to get involved and grow professionally, to grow your network. It's also an opportunity to actually give back. Many of these organizations raise money for scholarships for students. They raise uh, a lot of, many times, resources to not just help one another, but to help specific programs, to help specific initiatives that are affecting TRIO. Uh, we do a lot of advocacy work. You know, our, our lobbying budget is by federal regulation, very small, but we bring in, um, at the very least a voice to educate people on it. Maybe, maybe yeah. we're not in a position to tell somebody how to vote or to sell, tell somebody how to, uh, how to spend money or how to appropriate money, but we're in a position, position to at the very least educate members on the mission of TRIO and what educational opportunity and equity programs such as the TRIO programs and Gear Up do for our country, right? And so when people tell us like, well, is TRIO, is TRIO a, a program for Latino students? I'm like, in Oxnard, yes, because 80% of the population of Oxnard is Latino. Mm -hmm. But if you go to Eastern Tennessee State with my brother, Ronnie Gross, guess what? TRIO is probably very white, right? Mm -hmm. it's, 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 it's poor white Americans. If you take it up to Northern California, you've got, it, it, with my brothers and sisters up at Chico State, there's a huge Hmong population. So over there, Trio is probably, you know, majority Hmong. You go to the South, it's predominantly Black. So no, it's not a program that serves any particular demographic. Right. It is a program that serves income-eligible, first-generation college-bound students who are ready and willing to make a commitment to actually do something with themselves and change the non-college-going culture of their family by being a part of this program. That's amazing. So, yeah. So that's what these organizations do. These organizations are more than anything a a conduit, a connection to the entire nation that is the trio nation if that makes sense. Absolutely. That absolutely makes sense. Uh, so now I have a three-part question for you that I'm going to roll into into one. Um, so first is talking about your college experience and uh, tell us what that was like for you and then as a follow-up uh, why did you choose the program that you decided to go into and did you stick with it? So that's, that's actually, I was actually really looking forward to that question just because <laughs> yeah. I was a bio major, right? Yeah. I was supposed to go, I was supposed to go to med school. Mm -hmm. That was my thing. I was going to go and be a doctor and you know, 
I took general bio, did great. Took general chem, it was tough, but I passed. Took molecular bio, took microbio, mm-hmm. took genetics, all gravy. And then in comes organic chemistry. <clears throat> and organic, organic chemistry, at least at Cal Lutheran, separated the men from the doctors, right? Oh, wow. Or yeah, yeah. The humans from the doctors. I'm, I'm going to remove the men part of it, right? It, <laughs> oh, it, it, sure. it separated the people from the doctors. There you go. And I found out then that I was just an ordinary human being, man, not to be a doctor because organic chemistry just did a number on me. And I'll tell you one thing, though, and I, and I, and I don't hold this against that individual, but when I went to my advisor, and I'm, she's going to remain nameless, but when I went to my advisor, and I told her, I'm struggling with this course. I'm not going to pass this course. I need this course. This is, this is freshman. This is first semester junior year. I need this course to graduate A from Cal Lutheran. And I need this for medical school. Mm-hmm. Her exact words were, this isn't for everyone. What? And pretty much opened up the door for me to take the easy way out, bro. Yeah. Now, luckily for me, I went to a liberal arts college that required me to take what they called a global studies tandem course my freshman year. Mm-hmm. And it was history and music. One semester was history. One semester was music. It was a requirement for graduation. Mm-hmm. Taking that course, I was introduced to Dr. Paul Hansen. Dr. Paul Hansen taught history in a way that I had never seen it taught before. I wasn't reading a book and answering questions at the end of a unit. It was a story. It was analysis. It was what went on then that we can compare to what's going on now. And man, I fell in love with history listening to this man talk. Wow. And I don't know that he'll ever watch this podcast, but if he does, um, he's the reason. Because through him, I was exposed to people like Michaela Reeves, who also taught history very much like a story. I was exposed to people like Gregory Freeland, Dr. Freeland, who taught history and politics of Latin America. And it was a story. And it was analysis. And man, luckily, I took that class my freshman year. So I loved it so much that my second year, as an elective, I took Greco-Roman history with Dr. Paul Hansen. As, a second, as my second semester of my sophomore year, I took history and politics of South Asia with, uh, Dr. Paul, with Dr. Paul Hansen because I loved how much he taught it. So I had earned enough history credits to pretty much double major yeah. in history and biology. Wow. Going back to the door being wide open for me to walk out on my bio major it was very easy for me to make a transition into history that's awesome into something that i really loved now i'll tell you i wish that that advisor had told me no you're not quitting so you're gonna fail this semester or you're gonna fail this year let me tell you how we're going to get you back on path Uh, back on the right path. Let me talk to you about academic probation. Don't be afraid of it because this is how we're going to get out of it because there are already, there already isn't enough people who look like you 
that are in the medical field. Yeah. That should have been. Yeah, that's should... 2020. That's yeah. what I should have gotten in the term of in, in terms of advice. Absolutely. I didn't get that. I didn't Absolutely. get that. But it it put me on this trajectory that I'm at now. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm thankful for for whatever destiny, you know, life had for me. Whether it's God, higher being, the universe, the universe setting out their path, whatever it is, right? It's it's you're you're on this path now that you yep. are making the most impact. And that's I think Trio is only benefiting from that. So we appreciate you and all the work that you do. Well, I appreciate uh, you, man. Absolutely. So being a history major, so I'm, I'm going to let you know, I'm a history major too. So I graduated from Eastern New Mexico <laughs> University. Yep, history major. Uh, and I studied Latin American history because that's what drew me. Uh, and just much like you, it, it took one professor to really change my perspective about yeah. history. Um, you, you decided to stick with history and that was your undergraduate degree. Um, what was the goal ultimately for this degree? Were you going to be a teacher? Were you going to be working at a museum? What did you have plans? So initially the plan was graduate school to, to be a, you know, to really probably look at, look at PhD programs to be a professor. That was the original. And then my senior year, after I had already declared, you know, my, my major, I was approached by a professor Dr. 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 Garza, who offered me a scholarship to do a, a teaching credential. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. He told me, Sergio, I've got $36,000, a $36,000 scholarship for you. Wow. If you can commit to completing a B-clad credential and committing to teaching English learners for at least one year upon graduation. Yeah. And I said, wait, so you're telling me I can go to, to school for free for another year? Sign me up. So I applied for that, that scholarship mm -hmm. and I applied for the Cal Lutheran School of Education's teacher credential program. Yeah. So at that point, as a history major, I, I applied as a single subject uh, teaching credential candidate. Mm -hmm. And that's how I ended up in the classroom bro like wow. because they paid for it wow not because i wanted to be a teacher in all honesty i didn't necessarily want to be a teacher i yeah. fell in love with the teaching profession and education as a whole and edge and affecting lives once i was there but i really did the extra year of the credential program just because i was going to be able to do it for free yeah it meant one thing at the very least i didn't have to go look for a job just yet yeah <laughs> you know I, mean? I could go and continue being a full-time student yeah and get something out of it something that was worth thirty six thousand dollars yeah and so i i went the teaching credential route and i was a high school teacher uh from 2004 to 2005 to late 2003 to 2005 the end wow. of the academic year in 2005 that's amazing Sergio, yeah. dang, wow. So this, it really set you on a path. So for our podcast audience, we'll be right back uh, more with Sergio Galvez.
three, two, one. And we are back with Sergio Galvez over at Lutheran California University or California Lutheran University. Sorry, Sergio, I'm going to struggle with that a little bit. But uh, we are so glad again to for you to be sharing your story. And uh, we are now talking about your overall college experience and uh, the people that helped you navigate the college experience. You were talking about your mentors. You want to go over those one more time for us just to for the audience to get a refresher? Yeah, man. I mean, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't give shout outs to Dorinda Los Santos for being the SSS, uh, the trio SSS director at Cal Luthan that actually reached out to me and told me, hey, I think this program is going to be a great fit for you. To Damian Peña, who was my academic counselor, who would loan me five bucks whenever I walked into the office hungry. To back then, you know, now it's, it's, it's Carrie McDevitt who Carrie was just a sweetheart. She was always in the front desk, always just with a smile on her face, welcoming me, uh, letting me know whether Damien was in a meeting or not. That was home, man. Like that was home. On top of that, I still had my, my upward bound director and assistant director, Oscar and Diva, who were still on campus and I still could have gone and visited. And I did every once in a while just to say hello, but they were really the family that I needed to have at Cal Lutheran during those times, because man, I was a commuter student and I don't know that I got into too much of that, but as a commuter student, you're not as connected to the campus as everybody else who lives there. You know what I mean? Now think about a commuter student who's raising a kid. So thank God for my mom, because I would literally wake up at like five 30 in the morning grab my baby. My wife's getting at my wife at the time is getting ready to, to, to go to work. And I would grab my child and I would put her in a car seat and I would drive to my mom, mom and dad's ranch where they lived, where I grew up. And my mom would basically babysit my daughter pretty much all day. Right. But mm-hmm. I would drop her off at, it was like six thirty, and I would work from six thirty to about nine o'clock. I would always schedule my my classes to start at ten, just so that I could work from six thirty to nine. I would work from uh, I would work from uh, seven pretty much seven o'clock to about nine thirty. I would hustle down to Cal Lutheran to take classes. Usually, my classes were done by two. Go back to the ranch, jump, throw on my working clothes and work through 5.30, which was lockout hour. Yeah. And then grab my child and take her home to basically have dinner with my wife. It, yeah. it was, as a, as, a, as a 20 year old man, that's, that gets hard. You know what I mean? But absolutely. I'm wow. not going to say that I was like this resilient individual, even though there is a little bit of credit I should take for myself. But had I not had my mom there, had I not had my baby's grandparents, uh, my wife's parents at the time, my life would have been so much harder. Mm-hmm. So I will always give credit to uh, my compadres and my mom and dad for always supporting me and, and, and Viv's mom, uh, always supporting me and Carol through that process. Cause we were kids, man. We were mm-hmm. kids. And even though I was in college and going to be something better and going to be going to make something of myself, it was still very, very hard. So Absolutely. Um, I, I, I definitely do always recognize the fact that in college, I had my counselors and in my personal life, I had my parents and I had my compadres now, you know what I mean? So Absolutely. it's always, 
it, it's always something good to, to always reminisce. And this conversation is making me go back and reflect on all the people that have helped me. So thank you very much. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And thank you so much for your openness and sharing your, again, your story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did you decide to pursue a master's degree right after graduation or did, is it something that you decided to postpone for a while? So after I was a teacher, once I was a teacher, I wanted to get a master's degree, right? Because in all honesty, in California, you don't make money unless you get a master's degree. Oh that's yeah, true. that's that's true. Yeah, uh, and it's probably the case in in many other places. But I yes. wanted to get <laughs> I wanted to get a master's in education. So when I was teaching, Quan, at the time, California was all about standardized instruction, and it was all about standardized exams. Mm -hmm. So I found that all the creativity in creating lesson plans, all the pedagogies that I learned in my credential program, I wasn't using in high school. I wasn't using mm -hmm. in my job. I was mm -hmm. basically preparing students to take a test, mm -hmm. right? Because an API score determined that a student was learning or wasn't learning. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't able to basically implement everything that I had learned in what I consider one of the better teacher credential programs in the state of California, Cal Lutheran. Yeah. I couldn't implement any of that because yeah. we were standards based because everything had to be, how is the student going to answer that question on a test? Mm -hmm. And so that was very disillusioning to me. The fact that I knew for a fact, and I've said fact one too many times, <laughs> I knew that these kids taking the test and scoring a certain way didn't determine whether they were learning or not. Learning. They learned when we had dialogue, they learned when we had conversations, they learned when we actually got down and, and had, you know, analysis together. Mm -hmm. But teaching students or preparing students to take a standardized test in the state of, Cal in the state of California did not allow for any of that. So it was very disillusioning. Yeah. You add that to the fact that I was going to have to go work for um, an individual that I wasn't really excited to go work for. And then all of a sudden, my upward bound director, Oscar Covian, leaves Cal Lutheran in what is a kind of sudden move, right? And it's like, Oscar Covian is leaving Cal Lutheran. What the heck? That would be like the equivalent of Sergio leaving Calutra right now. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, left. he left for USC. Mm, mm -hmm. Little did I know that, you know, my director had, you know, Oscar had, had a North Star in mind. He, he wanted to get his doctorate and that's why he went to USC. Yeah. And he directed and he did a great job directing the upper bound trio programs at USC while he was there. He ended up getting his doctorate from USC. And when taught at, uh, not taught, he, he administered programs and managed programs at LA Southwest College. And now he's the vice president of student development at Oxnard College here, right, right down the road from me. Right. So I, I look at that trajectory that one of my mentors had. And, you know, I, I can't blame him, but back then it's like he left. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my God, Oscar left. And nobody ever thought that Oscar would leave. Mm -hmm. That meant that. Diva Ward was going to be director. And that meant that Diva Ward's position was opening up. 
And so I applied, man. I, I applied. Um, this would have been December of 2004. And the search process took until June of 2005. Wow. Yeah. Uh, again, because of the transitioning, right? Like, Diva, is sure. Diva going to be interim director? Is she going to be uh, full-time director? Is she just going right. to get a straight out hire? Right. There was transitioning going on. There was another director that probably wanted to take over all the grants. And that was probably, you know, again, things that I probably shouldn't speak of because I wasn't there and I don't know. But the position opened up. I ended up getting it. And I ended up getting hired as the assistant director of Upward Bound in 2005. Wow. So, yeah. so going back to your question about my master's, why I chose administration and not say a master's in education. Mm -hmm. I was no longer in the classroom. So when I went to go register for classes for my master's degree, the advisor for that program told me that since I was no longer in the classroom, I could no longer complete the practicum hmm. for that degree. Okay. So I had, I literally had two classes left and a practicum course. And because mm -hmm. I wasn't in the classroom teaching, I couldn't mm -hmm. do it. Oh. So, I was very, um, I was upset for the first time in my life with, with Cal Lutheran administration and how things worked, mm -hmm. but it opened up a window. It's like, okay, well, if I can't do this one, I'm going to do something else, something completely different. Okay. And I happened to hear that one of my favorite professors of all time at Cal Lutheran, uh, Professor Herb Gooch, Dr. Gooch who was one of my favorite instructors still to this day, one of my favorite people in the world. He was the chair of that, of, of the masters in public policy and administration. So I went and had a conversation with him. He's like, I think you'd be great for it. You have a background in this, you have a background in that you have these graduate level courses that even though they're a part of the school of education, I can take the uh, theory class and apply it to the masters. I can take this class and apply it to the masters. And so he transferred as many courses as he could from my master's program that I was already doing that couldn't complete mm -hmm. and gave them to me in the form of my master's in public policy and administration. Wow. So I ended up finishing the coursework for that master's degree in a year and a half. That's amazing. Man. And, wow. and, and ended up with his guidance, with Dr. Gucci's guidance, ended up, you know, taking the capstone, passing the capstone. Uh, uh, no, not the capstone, the, what do you call them when you take the exams? No, the GREs are the, not the, not the GRE, um, sorry. The, um, GREs. now I can't remember what's, what, what's it's called. During my capstone year, I had mm -hmm. the option of either doing a thesis, a project, or taking the exams. I'm just going to call yeah. them the exams. The so exam, I took, yeah. I took the exams <laughs> yeah. and I ended up passing them. And yeah, man, through that, I got my degree in, in 2009 from Cal Lutheran again and master's in public policy and administration. Now, the reason why that really, why I really enjoyed that program. And I, you know, I graduated with like a 4.0 because once you're in graduate school, you better like what you're doing because oh, yeah. that's why you're in there. Right. Yeah. Um, but I learned about nonprofits. I learned about implementation. I learned about policy uh, law. I learned about policy implementation. I learned about, all the things that I could always in a parallel way 
associate with what I was doing in trio. Mm-hmm. The evaluations process, everything. It all just made sense. Yeah, yeah. And even though someone with a master's in public policy and administration probably ends up being as like a city manager or a director of a nonprofit, well, shoot, we're pretty much directors of nonprofit organizations. Yeah, yeah. When you're, when you're made the director of a TRIO grant, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, so it was all just up my alley. And that's why it just made total sense. And, and that's really what I like about public administration is the fact that it's so convoluted, it's mm. so bureaucratic, but at mm-hmm. the same time, so is TRIO. That's, yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, it, I would agree with that. It just kind of put me on the same wavelength to, to think in a way where how can I apply these skills that I've learned and make myself a better professional on this end. Awesome. That's, that's great. And thank you so much for, again, sharing that because I think audience really likes to hear why a, a trio professional got into a certain field and how that impacts uh, other things that they're doing. So speaking yeah. of that, uh, there are a lot of changes within public policy and public administration, uh, whether it's environmental, medicinal, uh, health, or education. Uh, there's always constant uh, changes and adjustments or revisions. Which of these fields are you planning to make the most impact uh, with this degree? You know what, I've, I've thought about at times, because I do want to get a doctorate, right? I, I do want to get a doctorate. I, I've thought about a PhD. If I did a PhD, it would be in, it, in, in educational policy. If I got a doctorate, it would be in probably more than likely educational or organizational leadership. But <clears throat> I think in sticking true to what is my passion now and what I realize that I'm good at and what I realize that I'm gifted in, is being able to be persuasive, being able to build meaningful relationships with people, being able to build trust with people, being able to get things done in the side room Mm -hmm. uh, with a conversation instead of going through a nasty conflict, right? Like I'm all about disagreeing in discourse, but I'm very much about not letting that be the end road to what you're trying to do absolutely it's okay to disagree we're going to disagree Mm -hmm. but let's look at all the things that we have in common and let's try to bridge that gap and think about not you and not myself but think about the people that we're trying to actually serve that's you know i I mean so so that in itself I, i i think is 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 important i i'm proud at the fact that I can make relationships relatively easy. I'm proud to be a decent public speaker. I'm proud to be someone that people can trust to get things done. But that, that, you know, that's something that has taken time. And so I I, I definitely, um, in looking at what can I focus on and what can I do, I think it would eventually be something along the lines of educational leadership or educational reorganization yeah uh organizational leadership i don't know that i can i'm 40 years old i'm married i have kids in college i don't know that i'm a great candidate for a phd but i definitely do want to do a doctoral degree where i can be a practitioner and still have the ability to publish you know my research um in a variety of fields as it pertains to the areas that i choose to look at I'm just saying this set here without CSU paying me. There is a PhD online program through CSU, the higher education. 
So I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just throwing that I've out there. I've seen it. Trust me. Oscar Felix actually <laughs> pointed me in that direction once or twice. <laughs> so just throwing that out. Um, ultimately, you ended up working for the college that you initially applied to as a student, and uh, you've served them since. Um, how is that experience going for you, and how are you liking it? 15 years, man. 15 years. 2005. It's 2020. It's been 15 years that I've been on that campus. I've seen that campus grow before my very eyes. And I'm not just talking buildings. I'm talking about diversity. I'm talking about the number of students. I've seen this campus grow. I've grown along with this campus. This campus, that institution, man, it means so much to my family. I, I think I mentioned in my bio to you that I'm actually the vice president of development for the alumni board of directors for the university. Oh yeah, I think you mentioned that. Yeah. And, and, and I take great pride in that. I, I, I wouldn't be in that role if I didn't feel that I could commit myself to trying to improve not just our annual fund, but trying to reconnect our alumni to their alma mater and really realize that this place did give a lot of us a lot to actually share with the rest of this world, right? I feel like this university lives its mission. And, and every alumni that's walking this planet that went to Cal Lutheran is in a way <clears throat> remnants of that mission. And so it's, it's definitely something that I, I, I take great pride in. I, I love the fact that I'm a part of that governing group. It's, it's amazing that I was even considered for it by my colleagues and my peers, but um, you know, it, it, it speaks, I think, to whatever it is, whatever is each one of ours is calling, I think, mm -hmm. I guess, if that makes sense. No, that totally makes sense, yeah. Um, Cal Lutheran was like the unexpected best friend that I didn't knew was there, right? I owe my life to that university. I owe my life to its leadership through its imperfections. And we're going through a lot of, you know, trials and tri tribulations right now dealing with diversity issues. But I still have faith in the people that work at this campus if they're there for the right reason. So <clears throat> yeah, working at Cal Lutheran, coming back to my alma mater, I think it was just destiny more than anything else. I think yeah. it was something that was just kind of like in my, it was a part of my plan. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, The Adjustment Bureau. I think, I think it was part of my plan. Cal Lutheran <laughs> was always a part of my plan. And, and I've had people tell me that I'm a future VP at that place. I have, I've had people tell me that I'm a future president at that place. And I'll be honest with you, five, six years ago, I didn't, I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the university is ready to have someone who looks like me be in a position of, of the someone associated with the upper echelons of power at the university. Absolutely. And, and I'm not saying it's going to be me one day. I, I actually hope it's not me. I hope it's somebody else, but um, the university is definitely growing and doing its part in representing and looking like the state it actually serves being yeah. the state of California. That's awesome. That's amazing. And now t talking about your work with trio, uh, because you were a student with the Upper Bound program and now being on the professional side, what, what keeps you coming back to TRIO? Man, I was the students I served one day. You know what I mean? I was those kids. 
I was those students who were, were motivated, but lost, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. inspired, but unaware. I was a part of that non-college going culture that I'm addressing right now. Mm -hmm. And so that's what kind of keeps me going, man. Like what keeps me going is, is being at home watching TV and getting a random Facebook message, uh, private message from a student in their regalia telling me, Hey, I never got a chance to thank you, but I just want to let you know that I just graduated from UCSB, from UCSD, from UCLA, and that I couldn't have done it without the inspiration that you provided when I was in high school. That makes my day. That's awesome. That makes me coming back for more. You know what? It's like the equivalent of playing a terrible game of golf and then birding the last hole. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like hitting a perfect drive on the 18th and saying, that's why I like to play golf. Right. So yeah. being at your worst and having being stressed out, but then just out of nowhere, just having someone thank you for how you've changed their life is what keeps me going that's and it's, it's it's the fuel that feeds me and it's the fuel that keeps my passion going man that's 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 really it i there's no other answer for that i love that answer it's, it's a great answer uh segueing to the next question is how can, can you help enlighten us about public policy and how that informs your work i can tell you that public policy if anything taught me that implementation fails about 90 percent of the time wow right Implementing programs, implementation of programs in a city level, in a state level, at a national level, many times is a failure. So it helps me at the very least provide a contrast with what we do as trio professionals because we are held to such a high standard. Oh, absolutely. Of meeting our objectives, of doing well in our annual performance reports, A, because we need those, we need those prior experience points, that it gives me a sense of man, despite as convoluted and as bureaucratic as public administration can be, there are certain sectors within that bureaucracy that function so well, that are so streamlined, that are so well managed, that are so successful, that produce people like me, that produce people like all the students I've, I've serviced, I, I've, I've helped. Um, when I see our graduation rates, our six-year graduation rates, and I see, you know, upwards of 76% for an upper bound math and science program. And I see 74%. And I look at the other national averages for students graduating within six years who don't have the benefit of our programs. Man, that, that makes me feel good. Yeah. So I guess if anything, your question asked, how, does, how did public administration help me or how have I reflected? I think if anything, it, it allows me to see that within such a convoluted, complicated and sometimes ill-run system, there are <laughs> subsystems and little microcosms that work Absolutely. like freaking magic, man. They're yeah. like, they're, you know what? They're, they're, they're like the Flintstones car. As long as your feet are moving, it's going to move. <laughs> it's you don't have move. to worry about the manifold sure. breaking, bro. You're, you're in total control of it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So as long as you have good people in place, good, passionate people who care for the kids, man, those programs are going to be successful. Absolutely. Why should the public be aware of policies? Why is that important? It's super important, especially if you're in the trio community. If you're a trio professional, you have to know when the fiscal, uh, when, the president, uh, when the president's proposed 
fiscal plan comes out, right? Their fiscal budget. When does it come out and what does that mean for your profession? You're supposed to be aware of the appropriations process. You should be aware of reauthorization and what that means for the regulations that are going to, that are going to guide your program and, and direct your program for years to come. Being in trio, you are a counselor, you are a big brother, big sister, you are a politician, mm-hmm. you are a political analyst, mm-hmm. you are a, oh God, you have to be on top of so much mm-hmm. to be a good, to be a good uh, director. You have to be involved with your professional organizations, whether it's West Stop, Say Up, NAOP, NEOP, EOA, whatever it is that you've got going on. Um, Swasap, I, I, mm-hmm. I didn't say all of them, right? Aspire, shout Aspire, out to yeah. you, Colorado State. Um, you have to know that. You have to know the structure because that way you know the network that you have available for you. Absolutely. You have the people that instead of going to a, uh, instead of asking a silly question or maybe an uninformed question to your program specialist that might shine a spotlight on you, Go to your colleagues at, at Aspire and ask them that question. Go to your colleagues at Westop and ask them that question. Go find out who's doing the same thing you're doing or going through the same struggle you're going through mm-hmm. to get an answer instead of necessarily, you know, shining a, a, a light on yourself. But man, you have to be on top of that. You have to be aware of how we're structured. You have, you have to be aware of organizational flow. You have to be aware of how policy works and what a decision in terms of, uh, gosh, appropriations that involves the health, uh, the health and labor and services committee affects trio. You need to know that, right? So that's where I think policy uh, and knowledge of policy and administration comes in handy as a trio professional. Awesome. So we already talked about the impact about trio and policy. So I'm going to skip and go to this next one about. Uh, currently, TRIO programs cannot serve undocumented students. Is that something yeah. that could change via public policy? Definitely could. And I actually tell you, it was, I want to say, it was a Westop conference in Santa Clara. The year of it, I'm having a hard time remember right now. But one of our members made a motion on the floor of the meeting of the members to request that the Westop board write a letter to the Council for Opportunity Education that they approach the education department Mm. to consider DACA eligible students as students also eligible for TRIO. Mm -hmm. So that's been a conversation. Right now, legally, TRIO cannot serve students who are uh, recipients of DACA. My opinion is that in the near future, that is more than likely going to change, not under this administration, but it is something that COE has thankfully continued to push. Mm-hmm. Maureen, uh, Jelly, <clears throat> um, everyone at COE, um, Ms. Jones, they've all made it a point to look out for undocumented students and grant you at first i think it was seen more like a latino problem but it's not just a latino problem no, it isn't. yeah you know what i mean it's yeah. not just a latino problem and 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 it's and it's something that i think more and more it was even brought up at the coe conference with the department of ed that there there are talks in the next reauthorization i really think that that's something that's going to be thrown out 
this is something that could actually probably be addressed through regulation and through some type of a regulatory change without necessarily changing the law, right? Because changing the law would mean it has to happen during reauthorization of, of the Higher Education and Opportunity Act. Right, right. But it could be a regulatory change should the current administration be favorable to it. I think we all know where that's going to go given the current administration. So I think our best shot at it is in the next reauthorization. But I really think it's something that COE is going to push for very, very heavily. And I think it's something that the TRIO community as a whole, regardless of who we are or what part of the country we're in, should support wholeheartedly. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, talk to us about your position with the pre-college programs at TRIO. What does it entail and what do you do? Man, so I'm basically the budget officer for uh, the three upward bound grants for sure. And I'm a second set of eyes for the budget of the TRIO Talent Search grant. I get to evaluate my colleague, Demos Velorio, who's the director of Talent Search. And, you know, I, I pretty much help with the with the help of my team, with my amazing team, I'm nothing without my team, by the way, we basically implement three upper bound grants. And we have one grant, the oldest one, the oldest Cal Lutheran trio grant, which was funded in 1980, 1980. Uh, the traditional upper bound grant, which is a grant that I graduated from. We've got the math and science upper bound grant. We got upper bound, the Sentinella Valley project, which was funded in 2012. So I'm, I, I don't miss a Saturday session. I, I know that there are some directors and, I, and, and this is not a knock on those directors that don't go to their Saturday sessions because right now none of us can really go to our Saturday sessions. But I'm one of those directors that doesn't miss a Saturday session is at every college tour with the students just because when you move up in, in TRIO or in any position really, if you're in a student services field or area the higher up you go, the less student contact you have. Mm -hmm. And that as, as a high school teacher, where my true passion was, that was hard for me to let go. So I've, I've, I've never relinquished teaching senior seminars. So I teach senior, senior seminar to all our seniors during the summer. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm basically the budget officer. I, I help guide the strategic direction of the programs, which many times I will be the first to admit comes from my staff who are incredible and have the best ideas in the world and, and have their heart in the right place. So I, I, I want to make sure that I highlight them. I am nobody without them. Uh, my position is nothing without their support and without them being fully invested in the work that we do. So shout out to Laura and shout out to Michelle and shout out to all the other uh, past staff members that have been a part of our team um, during my 15 year tenure. I, I couldn't have done it without them. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, what do you enjoy most about your work? The students, man. Dealing with the families, even dealing with the trifling parents. I love it. <laughs> That's what makes me go, brother. That's what makes me go because, <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> it's like they, when they trifle with you, it's because they have a reason, right? Oh, yeah, sure, sure. And, and it's a good, it's a good opportunity to self-reflect and see, like, what are we doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Can I do anything right? is she doing something wrong? Is he doing something mm -hmm. wrong? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's a good way to actually get productive, sometimes difficult. I'll be the first to admit dialogue, but you always frame it. It's for the best of your kid. It's for Absolutely. the best of our scholar. And Absolutely. that always kind of seems to meld everything, man. Like just 
reminding everyone why we're here. It's, it's to just make sure that your son or daughter goes to college. Just to make sure that your son or daughter graduates from college. That's why we're here. Period. You know, this this kind of reminds me of, of something that I heard. Uh, Dr. Philip Humphreys. Um, I'm shouting out all kinds of people right now. Go for uh, it. Uh, Dr. Humphreys, when I started working Upper Bound, he was the director of the Upper Bound program at Long Beach State. And I remember him telling me one time, when I recruit students, I don't tell them. No, when I recruit students, this is what I tell them. You're not joining Upper Bound to go to college. And then he would stay quiet. So and everybody's like, what? So then why are you here? Right? And then he would turn around and say, you join up, we're bound to graduate from college. Boom. Period. Right? Yep, right exactly. there. Period. That's there you it. go, like a teenager said. Um, <laughs> when he said that, when I heard him say that, it changed my entire dynamic yeah. of why we were doing this. Mm-hmm. We're not just a college access program. And yes, that's the definition of upward bound, but we are a college completion program without it actually being a part of our definition. We are expected to graduate students. We are expected to change lives. We are expected to change entire non-college going trajectories of families in one generation, bro. In one generation, we do it in one generation. Yeah. That's how good we are at what we do. That's amazing. And And TL's credit, you're doing it. We're doing it. Me, my staff, you're doing it. The people that you've had on this podcast are doing it. Um, We just need to, not forget that man even in a time as hard as this absolutely even in a time as divided as country is absolutely because i'm sure there are republican trio directors out there and we need to remember why the heck we're in this profession absolutely ourselves that is important so you you kind of already alluded to something that i was going to ask you but i'm going to ask you anyway uh the importance of trio programs that's still relevant today right heck yes bro i think trio is one of those things that um Though far from perfect, it's it's the best thing that is out there because of how no heck no, they're perfect, bro. I, I take all that back. Trio programs are designed to be like accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We answer to the Department of Education every single year with an annual performance report. We, we are bound to the strictest regulations. Mm-hmm. The money that gets appropriate to, uh, to appropriate to our programs goes to the Department of Ed, and then it goes directly to our institutions for implementation. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. streamlined. There is no bureaucracy within us because even if, even if our programs are in a university, and that's why I'm taking it back, because even if you're in a, in, at a university that's huge and our one institution anywhere in the country that has more red tape than, you, than your eyes can see, the trio grants are probably still within a department or a foundation that are held to the very same standards that every other trio program across the country is held. Absolutely. We're still streamlined. The money goes into university. The money gets spent on the students. It's that simple. Yeah. As long as you don't break the law and as long as it's allowable, the money is getting used for the reason that the taxpayers are supposed to be using it. Very, very finely worded, Sergio. Very oh, finely so worded. Never mind. I take it back. We, we are very much relevant and we are as close to a perfectly run public entity as there is. Absolutely. Agreed on that, Ben. So a few more questions for you and then we're going to wrap up this podcast. You undoubtedly have served countless number of students. Do you have a favorite, favorite memory that sticks out to you? 
no, because I want my students to see this one day. <laughs> but you don't want to. Tell I, I honestly, I honestly have so many amazing students that I've worked uh, that I've worked with along along my path. I have doctors wow. now that I've worked with who are practicing wow. medicine. I have lawyers. I have environmentalists. I have activists. I have engineers. A ton of them. One of them built one of the skyscrapers in LA or was wow. part of that team. Wow. I have, and before me, there are executives right before me, students that work with Oscar and Diva and before Oscar and Diva that work with, um, with Joe Bernal and, and, and Joe Ramirez, we have executives that are at the highest levels of U.S. industry that graduated from Cal Lutheran. We have vice presidents of, of Univision who are alumni of this program. We have superior court judges in Ventura County who are alumni of this program. But in terms of mine, man, I have so many kids that I can be proud of. And there's so many that come to mind, but I think if one of them, just because it's so recent, was Juan Villalobos, shout out Juan Villalobos, um, second Lieutenant Juan Villalobos, by the way. He graduated from UCSB, he was a part of our program. I wrote him letters of recommendation so he could go out to, uh, to Quantico, Virginia because he wanted to be an officer. He wanted to do the officer track. And we were able to go to his, to his, to, to the Marine, what do you call that ceremony when basically, um, that's gonna drive me crazy right now. We might have to edit this later when I tell you what, what it is. But um, we went to his ceremony where we got to see him actually get pinned as a second lieutenant, as an officer of the United mm -hmm. States Marine Corps. Wow. And he was one of our alumni and he was an alumnus of UCSB and he did it all because of his interaction with us. So that stands out, but man, he's just one of so many. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's a testament to your work and to the, to the students that you serve. So here's an opportunity for you, Sergio, to talk to the professionals directly. What is some advice that you would want to share with trio professionals? Man, advice with trio professionals. If I could share any advice is a get through this difficult phase that we're going through right now. Online learning and working virtually is not what these programs were designed to actually do. We, we flourish in the environment. We flourish talking to our families. We flourish talking to our students. We flourish sitting down with students at their homes, at the satellite campus, working on their financial aid, getting frustrated because they won't click next because they're afraid to click next on the application. Like that's where we flourish, right? So don't let the current times distract you of how awesome you are and how amazing of a work you do, right? Right now, sometimes I honestly feel like I'm not doing my job just because I don't see my students. But I can tell you, we are, we're affecting them. So just stay in contact with them. Continue to grow be vulnerable and embrace that servant mentality that even though you maybe don't realize you have, it's very much draped on you by the very profession that you've chosen to take on. So be a servant to your profession, be a servant to your students, be a servant to your personal developmental growth, professionally, emotionally, 
And if you're like me, be proud to be a first generation college student who has changed forever the dynamics of not just their family, but other families who are in this profession. Awesome. What are some more- work, bro. Oh, it, it, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> what are some words of wisdom you would like to share with the students or alum that are listening? Um, don't forget about us. The students who go through our programs, and I tell them this when they're seniors. I tell them this when they're seniors. Once you fill out your college application and we help you fill out your FAFSA, you forget about us. And we're not going to take... I'll personalize it a little bit. I'll get mad a little bit, right? And I'll be sad a little bit. Yeah. But just don't forget to one day come back and say thank you because mm-hmm. that is what keeps us going. And I think I shared that with you earlier in the conversation. Yeah. You coming back and thanking us for giving you a little bit of ourselves and thanking you for sharing your struggle and your trajectory with us. That's what keeps us going, man. Yeah. That's like red oak on a Santa Maria grill Ooh. with some trite on top. You hey. know what I mean, bro? Like that is the perfect <laughs> harmony. It is. Like, like let us like let us remember why we're doing this. Absolutely. And many times it's it's going back and thanking your mentors, going back and thanking your counselors, your advisors, your academic specialists. Um, remind us why we're doing this job. And for the professionals man, hold on to that servant mentality. You're doing God's work on this planet. And even if it may or may not be a stepping stone for you, understand that in TRIO, you learned how to be everything. A brother, a sister, a suegro, a primo, a counselor, a principal, a teacher, uh, an event planner. You did everything. And you did it all for your kids. So don't forget that. Take those skills with you wherever it is you go. You're going to be fine. Awesome. Sergio, it was such a pleasure to have you on this last, on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. We hope that you uh, consider joining us again and maybe in a future panel or a future conversation that we can have. Uh, but it was such an honor to hear your story and hear everything that you're doing over there in California. Hey, Juan, you're just like I didn't cry, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, brother. It was, it was a pleasure to, to spend this this while with you i swear to god it felt like just minutes it, I, honestly right like it, i, I honestly thought that i was going to be hurting I'm, I'm telling you remember i told you my, yeah. my my kitchen table is not the most comfortable place to work on <laughs> i've sat at this kitchen table for the last two hours it's Holy been two smoke. hours bro it's been two and, hours and, yeah and you know what I, i've enjoyed every second of you man thank you very much for likewise, likewise my friend. I, I i couldn't have i couldn't have imagined how to better spend my last two hours of my of my Wednesday afternoon or my Wednesday evening. But well, thank was, you so much. This was my story, this was uplifting for us as well and hearing your story. So I cannot wait to publish it and, and see you, everything that uh, the reactions that people get through this. So we appreciate you. Uh, last final question. I promise it's not going to be too long. Can you do us the honor in signing off for the podcast? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you very much, everyone. I hope you've enjoyed the conversation between Juan and I. It's been my utmost honor to be, share these last two hours of Juan and, Maya's life, Juan and Mine's lifetime with you all. And um, I hope that the words that we shared here with you all today not only inspire you, I hope that you can actually relate to them in some way, shape, or form and remind you why you're doing the work that you're doing. If you're a TRIO alumnus, you are 
the creme de la creme in terms of first generation students. And, and remember you have an amazing national network that's there, that's there for you at some, at some point of your life when you ever you need us. If you're a professional, just remember that you're a part of an amazing trio association family that pretty much extends throughout the entire country. Hawaii, Palau, the Marshall Islands, Pompeii, the Federated States of Micronesia. Remember that TRIO is not just national, it is international. And um, it's been an enormous pleasure, Juan. So thank you very much. Shout out to everyone. TRIO definitely works. Thank you, Sergio. Thank you so much for all your kind words. And we appreciate you being on the pod. And uh, again, we hope to have you on again soon. Hey, it's been my pleasure, Juan. Thank you very much. All right. All right. Buenas noches. Buenas noches. All right, sir. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. What a great episode with Sergio Galvez over at California Lutheran University. Sergio, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast and sharing your story. We appreciate you so much and for all the hard work that you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, if you want to be on the podcast, you can send us a message via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also go over to the, our email, Let's Talk Trio. Send us an email, Let's Talk Trio at gmail.com. Let's Talk Trio is all one word L E T S T A L K T R I O at gmail.com. Once again, I want to thank our sponsors, Student Access and Angelica Villalpando for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a sponsor. Head on over to Patreon. Sponsor us for as little as a dollar a month for corporate sponsors. If you would like to run an ad on our podcast, get a hold of us or head on over to Patreon. Scroll all the way down. There is a corporate sponsorship for $100 a month. You can run an ad for about a minute and 30 seconds in our podcast. Our podcast caters to TRIO students, staff, alum, so you have a great audience targeted to the TRIO programs and the TRIO population. We are also starting, restarting our Kickstarter campaign. Right now, we've lowered our threshold to $1,000, so if you would like, head on over to Kickstarter, look up Let's Talk TRIO, and donate any dollar amount. Any dollar amount will get you a decal for the Let's Talk Trio podcast. And also opportunities uh, as the as you select each level or each tier uh, has different op opportunities and perks. Um, at the very most basic level, you donate at $5, you get a decal and a shout out on the podcast. At its highest level, we have a sneak peek of our guest list, um, opportunity to uh customize a message for us and we will feature it on the podcast so a variety of uh, creative things that we're trying to do on this end so be sure to head on over to kickstarter and select your donor level on kickstarter it is a one-time donation and there's no long-term commitment i want to give a thanks to the podcast team Amelia Castañeda, our producer, marketing manager, and social media manager. John Russell, our editor. 
sound engineer, and music producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. The honorary members for Let's Talk Trio include Tony Ho, Roderick Chambers, and Scott Kendall. Thank you all so much for listening and for supporting the podcast. We will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>